wrestling thing in the whole world. Oh shit! It's Vince Russo. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold your horses, there, uh, Mister Nerd. Is it? That's it. You want lucha libre, whatever you call them, go to Japan. Welcome everybody to You've Got to Be Kidding Me, episode number eight, where we're covering. January 2003 in the wonderful company that is TNA Wrestling. I'm Garrett Kidney. I'm joined by my friendly calls, Liam Jones. Liam, hi. Whoa! <laughs> we have turned the tables from our usual recording dynamic, I suppose, where usually it's I'm straight out of bed recording and you're late at night. Now it's late at night mm. for me and you're straight out of bed recording. What a twist. What a swerve, some would say. So if I sound any more coherent, that's why. And if I don't yeah. sound any more coherent, well, <laughs> what can I do? And this is an excuse for my incoherent ramblings instead of just a bit being me. Uh, we must start the show on a very important note, Liam. You said it was your life goal in the last episode. Like, the most important, meaningful mm-hmm. thing to you in your mm-hmm. entire existence, in your entire 24 years of existence at this stage, that sure. you reach 500 Twitter followers. <laughs> yep. And you have done it! Well done! I've killed it. I killed it. I'm sure it was thanks to all of our listeners and not your viral tweets that you got <laughs> you got to 500. So thank you to the wonderful listeners if you've got to be kidding me for helping Liam over the line to 500 followers. I'm very curious um, how many people follow the podcast account but not me. And then oh. vice versa, how many people follow the podcast account but not you. <laughs> well, at the moment you have 525 followers versus the podcast's 560. I'm catching up. Yeah, there was a period where the podcast stormed past you. But there you're like, oh, no, podcast, you're not storming past me. I'm catching up with mm. you. Yeah, I decided, like, I got to start tweeting bangers again, you know? <laughs> I got to start doing it. Did you see, oh, you see my, uh, that dude from NXT tweet? Whoa, that went crazy. Yeah. You're not the TNA guy anymore, based off this podcast. You're now the dude from NXT tweet guy. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm a meme guy. I, I don't know what I am. <laughs> Like shout out Tony D'Angelo because he got me over the over the the bump. Honestly, I think you should be shouting out Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> well, fair. You know what? It, the important thing about this tweet, right? Let's break mm-hmm. down the psychology of a tweet. You should explain the tweet first for people that may not have seen it. Well, I, sh- I assume everyone knows uh, Tony D'Angelo, the new NXT Italian character. Yes, um, the the mixture of Rich and Joe. Just morphed into one person. Yes, he is an Italian man from Chicago. Yes, who does, like, a Sopranos thing. But he's also, like, an amateur wrestler guy. Mm-hmm. And I hit a banger of a tweet that was this. Uh, this is the owner of a local seafood restaurant that just won't listen to Gordon Ramsay's advice to save his struggling business. Gordon Ramsay would look at his, his seafood and shout, It's rotten! Yeah. He, no, uh, he'd be like one of those guys where Gordon would come in and he'd change the entire decor of the restaurant and then he'd come in and he'd just be like, I'm not going to do the accent. <laughs> this is one accent I will refuse to be a, a part of. <laughs> but he'll just be going there and he'd start sulking. And, and no, you have, to, you, have to, you have to commit to the accent. You have to be like, yo, Gordon, what you do to my seafood place? Yo, Gordon. <laughs> if you made me do an Australian accent for an entire match on the watch along, I'm going to make you do an Italian American accent. I don't think that counts considering you do the Australian accent nearly every time we talk at some point. How dare you? I am I would not appropriate your culture that way. 
anyway, back to the psychology of a tweet, right? But yeah, you were mentioning that um, he would be the person when we designed the restaurant that all of the staff were like, oh, it's beautiful. I've never seen anything like it. He'd just be sulking mm. and keeping his opinions to himself. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think he's keeping his opinions to himself. No, he's, he's the <laughs> one that would slowly bottle. He'd be like, oh, you know, he's upset, upset. And then he'd explode at the end of the episode and it would be great fun. He'd storm out. And then, uh, like, there was this one Hotel Hell <laughs> episode where Gordon, it was in, like, Texas, and Gordon, like, completely rechanged the hotel. And this one lady went out to, the, like, the bins where they put everything and started grabbing her stuff back. <laughs> I've never watched Hotel Hell. I've only watched Kitchen Nightmares. I really should watch Hotel Hell. I love Hotel Hotel Hell is my favorite Gordon Ramsay show because yeah. it's stupid as hell. Um, and then Gordon was like... Listen here, you fucking donkey. We just we spent a hundred thousand dollars on this. And fair enough, that wasn't the show's production money; it was sponsors' money. But still, yeah. And then she's like, "I don't care. You should have told me first. <laughs> All the accents coming out today. But anyway, to break down the psychology of a tweet, mm-hmm. it's one thing for like. Oh, you know, you tweet a a video or a gif and it goes viral, right? And you get all your things. It's another thing when it's a well-constructed joke that you thought of. Mm. That's that's that that's a that's a rush that you can't you can't bottle there. There is validation to that going viral. It's like, look at me, I'm smart and funny. Yes, it's my Richie repartee has made it through. Yeah, big moment, you know. I, anyone anyone can tweet a gif of Joshi's doing some crazy shit, and people will be like, wow, this is tremendous. Ten thousand likes. But a well-constructed joke from the heart, it's like a home-cooked meal. See, I brought it back around, full Gordon Ramsay. It's no longer rotten. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, you're on 500 Twitter followers, which is the moral of this deep Kitchen Nightmares tangent. Me and my brother Ken watched a ton of Kitchen Nightmares during the start of lockdown. Like, every night mm. we just sit down and watch Kitchen Nightmares. It's the best show. Yeah, he's a tremendous, tremendous fellow. I've actually just been getting on um, chef-based media. Mm-hmm. I've been really getting into um, Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown. Mm. That's a tremendous show. I was a big fan of MasterChef Australia. As as I know. Until they changed the cast, and then I think half the cast got cancelled anyway. What's your Bald guy got cancelled, didn't he? Yeah, because he wasn't paying his <laughs> employees. <laughs> Which is a pretty reasonable reason to cancel somebody. The other two were fine, I think. But yeah, old mate George <laughs> just didn't pay anyone for a while there. Allegedly. But then I sat and watched a new episode, and I'm like, nah, it's not the same. I can never watch it again. I need Matt Preston. I just need Matt Preston in my life. Oh, did they get rid of Preston? They got rid of all of them. They completely recast it. Wow. You know, full circle, isn't Gordon, like, a MasterChef judge on one of the MasterChefs now? He's usually a regular guest. He has been on Australia a couple times. I'm not sure is he a full-time one. Maybe he is in the UK. I don't watch the UK one. The UK one is always too dry for me. I actually think he was on the US one. Mm. I think he's like a permanent host on the US one. You might be right, because I know he definitely does MasterChef Junior in the US, where he shows his soft side and everyone's like, oh, what a nice guy he is. Why is he such a cunt to actual people? <laughs> and they're like, wait, it, perhaps it's a gimmick. He's playing a television character? Oh. My, my, my favorite thing about like um, Gordon's gimmick is like if you break it down, it's really just him being his like his old boss. Mm. I forget his name. Do you remember um, Marco? Marco Pierre White. Yeah, like he's just doing a Marco Pierre White character. <laughs> it's like you see some of like the early um, Marco footage and in interviews, and like he even says like the same things that Gordon says now. Like I remember I was watching one from. Uh, when like Gordon was training under him, and he was like a little wee babby Gordon, and Marco goes to Gordon and calls him Big Boy, and I was like, <laughs> my God, that's where the law comes from. 
He's built this entire character around the abuses he's had while he was a trainee chef. Yeah. Do you know what? Fair play to him. To be fair, like, I feel, I still think, like, Marco was a way scarier dude than Gordon. Mm. It's funny that, like, the entire reality TV genre of the early 2000s was built around middle-aged white men being, like, complete assholes to people for no reason whatsoever. Well, to be fair, it's like, that's the main demo in it. <laughs> yeah, it's just Gordon Ramsay and Simon Cowell shouting at people. British middle-aged white men, really. You can even narrow it down to a even smaller subset. <laughs> it's probably like some weird subconscious thing about the British taking over the world. Mm. It's it's all it's inbuilt in every um, Commonwealth state at this point to <laughs> to respect a loud, booming British voice yelling at them. This is why we have not never joined the Commonwealth, Liam. We are rebellious over here. We never had a choice. <laughs> every so often, it comes up here. It's like, should we join the Commonwealth? And we're all just like, no. Well, I'm a giant proprietor of. I want to leave the Commonwealth. Because, so. like, when you're in the Commonwealth, like your 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 ruler is the queen. That's the way it works. Garrett, did you know that the queen at any point can like cancel any laws that we put into place? Feels like a thing that shouldn't be able to happen, doesn't it? <laughs> Garrett, did you know at like any point the queen can pick the prime minister? That seems like something that should happen. I don't trust your democratically elected <laughs> representatives. <laughs> Uh, well, to be fair, neither do we, apparently, considering, what is it, like, six in the last 12 years? It's madness. Yeah. Well, the, it's because we don't vote for people, we vote for parties. Mm. So then, like, when the party's like, alright, you thought you were voting for this person, but actually we think they kind of suck. We're gonna put this other person in charge. And everyone's like, wait a minute. <laughs> they suck too. <laughs> in fact, most of the time, they suck worse. One time they sucked so bad that when they swapped them over, they swapped them back to the original person. <laughs> democracy i don't think we've had a prime minister that's completed their full term in like maybe the last six of them you know what's a pro wrestling idea i had once that i think would be interesting to do even if it was chaotic mm. the booker of a wrestling show is democratically elected by the fans they should be democratically elected by the workers it's a socialist wrestling company but like some kind of component where like if you are dissatisfied with the booking you can just vote out the booker get something new uh, what's it called? Democratic marketing? Yeah, they should do that. Mm, let's go. Just every two years, if you get bored of the book and if it sucks, well, you can oust the booker. I, I like the idea that like, anyone in the company can run to be the booker. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and it's uh, and yeah, I like this. If you're in 2003 NWA TNA and, you know, Shark Boy wants to throw his hat in the ring, he wants a chance at booking, he can run for booker. That actually might be um, a problem considering... <laughs> the most charismatic people in wrestling are normally the biggest dicks. Mm. So it's like, Russo could just be forever Booker. <laughs> just because he can talk his way into getting people to vote for him. Although, what a like clash of titans in a Russo versus Jarrett booking a democratic election. Well, not to get too deep into TNA history, there will be a Russo versus somebody kind of booking election coming up at the end of 2004, which is where this idea popped into my head. But we won't talk about that for another year and a half. What an interesting dynamic, huh? Mm. So that does bring us, we'll pivot over to January 2003 at NWATNA, a wild and strange and kind of terrible month? Uh, there's one good show in the month. It's a watchable month, but it is far, far, far and away the worst month for wrestling in the history of this company. The wrestling on these shows is just absolutely abysmal. Which is, like... A shocking development, I know, with what's happening. And it's not even like, oh, you know, the wrestling on TNA used to be great, and now it's bad. It's like, the wrestling on TNA used to be okay, occasionally good. Now, oh god. 
Yeah. Because uh, let me see, what's what's the average star rating of every match on all of these shows? Two point three is my average star rating for every match on all of these shows across the entire four shows. It was real, like that last show. <laughs> I was looking at the ratings and I was like, that might be the roughest thing I've seen so far. Your, your average star rating is even lower than that. Two point two one. Two and a quarter star is the average rating you have given all like. I don't know, probably 20 to 25 matches across these shows. And you know what? Deservedly so. Just dire stuff. Just absolutely terrible, abysmal, awful stuff up and down these shows. And it, it does show like the Vince Russo philosophy showing through where it's just like, the, it's not even like that he doesn't put matches on these shows because there's matches on these shows that you think would be all right. Like there's Ron Killings and AJ, there's Jarrett and Daniels. There's some stuff that you think, all right, there's potential there. Jerry Lynn, Mike Sanders. <laughs> there is so many Mike Sanders and David Flair matches on these shows that you're just like, why would you book all these matches? Well, in the the watch along, you described to me how their, their shtick was like that they are bad wrestlers who talk or whatever, mm-hmm. but they're still wrestling. Yeah. They're still putting Mike Sanders in three matches on these shows, I believe. Doesn't that... It's kind of counterintuitive to the gimmick of being bad wrestlers who talk if you still make them wrestle. Every single week you're getting either one or sometimes two. In fact, three out of the four weeks have two matches that feature David Flair and Mike Sanders. If you're lucky, you'll get a week where they're in a tag match. (laughs) Where you're only exposed to them once. That is quite nice. Mm. Just desperate, dire, horrible wrestling on these shows. Like, there's, I would say, (laughs) two good matches, both of which involve AMW. (laughs) Yeah. And if you were ever saying to yourself, it's like, you know what I'd really like in this world? You know what I've really wanted? Not one, but two AJ Styles against Larry Zabisco matches. And then also to think... Those are two of the more interesting matches of the month. I was going to say. And then to have them be two of the best matches in the month. <laughs> Not great. When Larry Zabisco, at the age of either 50 or 51 at this stage, is outperforming the majority of your roster and having some of the better matches on the show, you're kind of in a bit of trouble. Cutting like some of the more interesting promos. Promos that go on way too long, I might say. But mm. as far as, like, actual, like, structure and delivery, like, good, interesting promos. Yeah, because, like, AJ is moving up to heavyweight, and he's not feuding with Jarrett yet, so they want something for him to do. So that thing for him to do, while he's still flirting with sex, is to feud with Larry Zabisco over who should be his manager. It's still foreplay. Yeah, this is still foreplay before sex. They, they, they haven't fully committed to this relationship. They, like, AJ understands that this is some toxic sex happening on the show, so he wants to see how yeah. it plays out first. And he's so adamant, you know. He's not sex. <laughs> but everyone thinks AJ Styles is with sex. I like that um, he's taking offense throughout the entire month where people go, and, oh, yeah, and you're joining Vince Russo. And he's like, I'm not joining Vince <laughs> Russo. Can you stop saying that? I just want to beat up Jeff. <laughs> Yeah, and that just happens to align with when they do it. AJ's just an opportunist, which I can respect. He just sees that Jared is vulnerable while he's being beaten down by four other people and then attacks them. Yeah. Terrible wrestling up and down these shows. It's a really bad month. We'll get into that more after we cover the the notes from the month. So bidding closed on TNA's charity auction on December 15th. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> Some of the stuff included the highest bid was 2800 for a chance to sit in on commentary with Mike Tanay and Don West. So we can look forward to that in the future. 
The second highest bid was 2500 for a dinner date with Scott Hall, even though he doesn't work for the company anymore, but he did say he would honor the I wonder the if that date. still happened. Oh, that's nice of Scott. Well, there was a story in, the, I think it was the Torch at one stage, that Hall, even though he wasn't working for the company, would honor this. I'm not sure was it honored, but that's what the story was beforehand. Sean Waltman sold his WF Light Heavyweight title for 2400 Disco Inferno's jive-talking set was sold for $75. <laughs> that seems like... What do you even do with that? <laughs> Somebody out there has the Disco Inferno jive-talking set, having bought it from TNA. There's one thing on this list that I, I hope we can track down for the podcast. The Dup Cup sold for $100. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that you knew exactly the thing I was referring to. If you are the person who bought the Dup Cup, please, please, I will pay good money for the Dup Cup. So if you're that person, I will buy it from you. It's hilarious that, like, how much money is going to go into stupid bits on this show? Yeah, we were mentioning the, the watch along that the nwtna.com, the web domain, costs $800. And I was like, I was willing to pay like 600 for it, but 800 is just too steep. And then I was like, maybe I throw that 200 in there. <laughs> Listen, we need all of you to go to tnachat.com or patreon.com slash kidding me to give us enough money to buy nwatna.com. Because the fact that we could pitch for everyone to go to nwatna.com and it goes to our Patreon. <laughs> Very good. But sadly, this just 800 bucks is too much. Ugh. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll start a fund. Well, that's what the Patreon is. <laughs> TNA charity auction. Highest bit of the auction gets to sit in on the podcast. Now, we should add a, a Patreon tier that's just $800, which is the NWATNA Patreon tier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll add that. Uh, also, the outhouse for the Duff sold for 25 bucks, and a Georgia man named Andrew Stevens bid 500 bucks for the chance to serve as a TNA dancer. Ooh. Him and Lollipop. They're looking forward to seeing that as well. Uh, <laughs> I hope he does Lollipop's high spot. Oh, yeah, you were popping a lot for her high spot on the, the watch along this time. I mean, it's just a tremendous effort put forward, you know? A commitment to the bit. There's also a lot of Australian national pride put into it this time. Yeah, which I... It blew me away. Because <laughs> the reveal! <laughs> you have to check out the Patreon watch-along for this. It was truly... It might be our best Patreon watch-along because I was just shocked and aghast multiple times at the things that were happening. A fun show. The The money for the auction was raised and will be donated to the Fazen School for Autism and Breast Cancer Awareness Fund. So TNA mm. doing some good in the world. It's nice of them to do that. <laughs> TNA officials reached out to Sting recently, but Vince Russo's involvement in the company may have hurt the company's chances of lowering him for an appearance. When asked by the UK's Sun newspaper whether he preferred the ideas of Russo or Eric Bischoff, Sting said, I can say I never preferred Vince Russo's style, comma, ever. Well, that makes sense, because like, Sting's like a big religious guy, right? And old Russo is very salacious. There was actually another good point. Hawk, I didn't include it in the notes, but Hawk was interviewed during this period where he was asked, because a lot of the 80s wrestlers became born-again Christians, like Sting. Hawk was one of them. And he was asked, like, how do you reconcile this kind of raunchy sexual product with your religious beliefs? To which Hawk responded, it's a good question. (laughs) And the answer is, don't worry about it. Maybe that's why we didn't see Hawk ever again after the January 15th show was the Hawk's final TNA appearance. I like the idea that he never considered it, and then once he did, he's like, I can't do this. Yeah. Listen, lo- Lollipop was the final straw. He saw the, ho- the ho- Lollipop high spot. It's like, I am a religious man! <laughs> it's um that Simpsons episode where Smithers is hiding his eyes, averting his eyes from the dancers. Mm. 
It was Shawn Michaels' 2006 gimmick. The biggest note for you of the month, obviously, Liam, is TNA shows mm. became available starting with the January 23rd show. So there you are. Australia can finally watch TNA. Yeah, I, I actually was just reading results this entire time up until now. But this is my first month of actually <laughs> watching the shows. I said January 23rd because it was January 23rd in Australia, of course. It was the January 22nd episode of Impact, but aired live on the 23rd in Australia to respect the time zones. Wow, the day before Australia? <laughs> Australia Day. You're a great Australian. <laughs> uh, th- three days before Australia Day. <laughs> in the wonderful celebration. So they had JB film a bunch of pieces while he was over on a WWE tour so he could introduce the show for all the Australian viewers. There is a note in the Wrestling Observer that I'd like to keep track of. But according Mm. to Dave in the Observer, as it turns out, according to TV listings in Australia and the press release that Main Event Pay-Per-View from Australia sent out, Main Event Pay-Per-View being the pay-per-view provider who was showing the shows. I know them well. The show will not be airing weekly, as those in TNA had presumed, but will air once a month, which will make it more difficult for Australian viewers to follow the storylines. Do you frequently buy things on main event pay-per-view? Back in the day, yeah. I I bought WrestleManias Mm. on main event pay-per-view. Interesting. I bought one show that had a three-way ladder match with Dolph Ziggler, Kobe Kingston, and Jack Swagger. (laughs) Was that a good match? No. Well, there you go. (laughs) And yeah, I'm yeah. I bought a couple of manias. That's all I really remember. It was really, it was really hard to buy pay per view in Australia. It was like a, a whole complicated process. We had to ring up and talk to someone and say, "Hey, I would like to buy this pay per view." And they were like, "Okay, give us your money and your details now." And you had to read it all out and give them a pass. It was a whole thing. Yeah, that's how it used to be here too. Before, like, it was incorporated into like the the actual television systems where you could just press some buttons and they added it to your bill. The idea that you have to talk to someone about the pay per view that you're buying. What if you wanted to buy pornography? Well, that was the very awkward thing, wasn't it? Uh. I'm sure the pay per view providers were very discreet. <laughs> and then laughing behind your back when you buy Big Butts Volume eighty five. <laughs> And they were like, oh no, 84 is where you want to go here, pal. <laughs> yeah, I wish they gave out recommendations. Yeah. Like, ah, 85's a little overplayed, you want to go for like the 60 realm? It's like they really ran out of ideas there in the 70s. Yeah, like the storylines fall off. <laughs> Vince Russo starts booking them. So yeah, the Australia, the Australia, the January 22 pay-per-view was very Australian. They tried to make it as Australian as they could. Some would say too Australian. <laughs> They brought back Ashley Hudson for the show. They had JP do those introductions. They had a ton of like fans in the crowd with signs saying like "Welcome Australia" stuff like that. We had booty that was directly <laughs> that was directed at the Australian audience. We did have Australian booty. Uh, we had a little koala bear hanging out. Mm. So they, they they tried to pander to your people as much as they could. As an Australian sitting here watching the show, trying to appeal to Australians, do you think it succeeded? I don't think other countries care that much. No. Like, like if you're debuting something in a new demo, I don't think that demo cares if it's, like, all directed at them more than if the show is just a good show. Yeah, they're like, you know what? The show was awful, but they had some Australian flags there, so I'm on board. But to be fair, you may have gotten some people to tune in when Lollipop hit the high spot with mm. the Australian flags on it. That may have kept some people, but other than that, I, I can't say that having... Ashley Hudson on the show made people want to stick around. The Sex Australian Champion, though. Well, former Sex Australian Champion. I'm the current Sex Australian Champion. Oh, when did you beat Ashley Hudson for that belt? Uh, it was a, a endurance test. Mm. Mm. I don't need to expand nope. on that thought. 
Jeff Jarrett and Warder Plumtree held a meeting backstage where they talked about how there's too many people backstage and a script leaked apparently, so they were cutting down <sighs> on the number of guests you could have backstage. I imagine, like, if you have a weekly show mm-hmm. that is in the same building every time and every and like people are bringing the same people around every time, it has to be, like, such a party atmosphere back there. Yeah, I think that's what they wanted to cut out. So basically, following that week, everyone had to have, like, backstage passes and be approved to go backstage as opposed to just, like, hey, this is my pal Jimmy. He's going backstage. So, okay. Well, Conan managed to get past all that. That's true, multiple times, but then he was arrested, so that's where the security came from. No, he wasn't. He was just politely asked to leave. <laughs> but multiple times. <laughs> yes. There was no escalation in punishment. You were saying there was too much swearing and they were starting to lose its impact, so Jared pointed out that, that, that Vince Russo has permission to swear, but everyone else also has to get permission for swearing. Mm. Jared also scolded Edith Skipper for striking a fan the week before. Skipper defended himself by saying the fan swung first, because if you notice that the, they walk out through the crowd from the, the dressing room in the back mm. of the building. So that is ripe for getting in fights with fans. Apparently Scott Armstrong stood up for Skipper being like, hey, you know, when they come from that side of the building, there should be more security there for him. It's like, good point, Scott Armstrong. It was like good heat. And I think my favorite little note, because you see it come through on the show, Dixie Carter does a little speech saying she appreciates the wrestlers, and then she's happy to report that pay-per-view sales had risen 22% recently, which is a stat that, that then Russo says on the, the freaking pay-per-view. And I, I was absolutely demoralized that Mike tonight didn't call him out on his numbers in a similar fashion. Yeah, it's like, show me your numbers. I really wish tonight had the numbers on him. Oh, he did. He said the numbers, but then Russo, well, he didn't have a sheet of paper, but then he still would have said, oh, that's from Dave Meltzer. Yeah, because like, well, we'll just briefly touch on the interview, I guess. Tanae like killed him, killed him. So yeah, the, the second pay-per-view of the month. Let's go into it. Why not? The NWTNA yeah. pay-per-view number eight, January 15th, 2003. That show opened with a sit-down interview between Mike Tanae and Vince Russo. It was about six minutes where they talked all about what the role of a wrestling writer is. Vince Russo talked about his philosophy toward pro wrestling. They talked about David Arquette winning the WCW world title. And like, as you mentioned, today massacred him. Because by all accounts, this segment was set up as a shoot where it's like Mike Tenay will actually interview Vince Russo. So Mike Tenay did all this research and preparation. They sat down. He did the interview where Russo was just not prepared for all the questions Mike Tenay had. And Russo fell flat in his face and looked like an idiot. Mm. And you can tell, like, it was going to be a shoot from the beginning because of the demeanor of both guys. They do not like each other. Like, that's, by all accounts, they're, they're, well, they are working here because the story is that they're, they're playing that natural tension they have against each other. But, like, they, that, that is natural tension. These men do not like each other. Mm. And I, I would say that this is one of the most famous things to come out of Russo's on screen stuff in the company. Yeah, the famous Lucha Libras quote. <laughs> Can't just Lucha Libras go to Japan? That has to be added to the intro. That way, yeah, we'll add the Lucha Libras to the intro. I might have to bump something because we're we're running up close toward the amount you can actually squeeze into the intro. But I'll make oh it work. God. We'll have to we'll have to add some more. <laughs> we'll have to add more song. Uh, yeah, I can't extend the intro. I can't extend the opening track. But then that would require me to re-download mm. it. But either way, I, I guess that's worth doing. But yeah, today uh, <laughs> Vince Russo was like, "Hey, you want your Lucha Libras? You go to Japan. You go to Mexico. I don't know where." Forever. and lucha libras he said rather than lucha libre so i assume yeah. he's talking about like luchas with the star sign libra uh, as everyone pointed out in the mentions of your wonderful tweet mm. um he was just talking about dragon gate oh yeah or he was predicting the future fantastica mania tour <laughs> yeah so 
And it's, it's an ama- it's an amazing clip. I think uh, in the intro we should cut it after the Japan bit. <laughs> you want your Lucha Libre? Go to Japan. Oh, it is it is fascinating, and like it's one of those things that like if you analyze it as part of like the television show, it's absolutely inane. You know that they're going on the show where he's saying like he says multiple times like this company's going to shut down. I need to save this company. The product is awful. The show is terrible. The job of the writer is to make the show compelling. He calls the world title a prop. All those things like within the universe of NWA TNA are absolutely absurd to put a character on the show to say, but it becomes like captivating television to watch. Uh, I said uh, on Twitter, I was like. Watching this as someone doing a podcast in 2021 is awesome, and I kind of love it. Mm. But if I was watching it at the time, I would have just been very confused and probably turned off by it. Yeah, so the big moment is where Mike Tanay raises the David Arquette thing. It's like, well, how can you justify putting the World Championship on David Arquette? And then Mike Tanay, uh, Vince Russo responds, like, his justification for it is, oh, they got the front page of USA Today, which we never did. He doesn't even say the front page. He just says it's in the USA Today. Yeah, which, like... You can get coverage in USA Today. You can ask yourself the question, is it good coverage? <laughs> then you can ask yourself the question, well, as Mike Tanay follows it up, like, <laughs> the ratings didn't improve because of it, so it doesn't even fucking matter. <laughs> yeah, so the actual numbers from May 1st, 2001, which was, I believe, the Nitro after we won the belt, were 7.4 to 2.46, which was the second highest rating in Raw history, and should be noted that it was nearly eight months after Russo had left the company, and it was also the biggest differential between Raw and Nitro in the six-year history of the Monday Night Wars. On top of that, Arquette's next title defense on pay-per-view drew the lowest buy rate in the history of WCW. <laughs> so... See, so think that's the problem, right? I can't see... How can you be so into your own shit that seeing numbers like that and it doesn't make you question your choices? Because he doesn't like wrestling. It really just comes down to that. That's fair, but, like, how do you... Even, but like, how do you look at those numbers and go, oh, well, my vision of what this thing is, is right still, you know? Like, this is, like, my call completely, and it's what I think is a good idea, and then it clearly wasn't a good idea because it didn't pay off in any measurable fact. And it's like, how can you look at that and still go, my ideas are correct? (laughs) Because at the end of the day, people are always like, Vince Russo is a story guy, not a wrestling guy, and he's not. Like, the thing Vince Russo does, above all else, like, the thing he prioritizes is, can he get your attention in a single moment? Like, that's all Mm. he cares about. And there's not, like, that's not an entirely, like, ridiculous philosophy toward wrestling. Like, in theory, trying to get the attention of the audience in any given moment is a good idea. But Russo's way of doing that is just shock. All he can do is shock you. So that you pay attention, you might get your, he might get attention from him. And that's all he wants. He just wants the shock, which is the reason his justification for it is, oh, well, we got covered in USA Today. That's it. Did it make money? Did people watch? No. Did it get attention? Yes. Therefore, it's successful. It got attention for one day. Mm. And the wrong kind of attention. Most people laughing at it and burying it and look how ridiculous that this B-tier actor has become world heavyweight champion in wrestling. Mm. Because that's the thing as well, like, it's David Arquette, who is having, like, a small little moment for himself, coming off ready to rumble. Obviously, uh, not that, really. But coming off screen, mostly. That people would have had, like, an okay idea of who David Arquette was. But, like, it's not like it was Jay Leno, or, like, Carl Malone, or Dennis Rodman. It should have been Rodman, if they were gonna ever, if they were gonna strap up any celebrity. Like, when you look at the actual celebrities that WCW had in a wrestling ring in the 90s, like... Jay Leno's a better world champion than David Arquette. Mm. <laughs> but it's David Arquette. 
the B-tier celebrity that you just put the world title on. Well done. Yeah, that interview, it's it's absolutely fascinating to watch. It's just, like, Russo gets torn to shreds by Mike today. <laughs> I honestly recommend anyone going out there and just watching it, just to see it. Because it's, it's a really interesting time capsule. Yeah, it is the very first thing on the NWATNA pay-per-view from January 15, 2003. So turn that show on, it'll be the first thing you see. Hmm. Oh, dear. So, yeah, 22% up buy rates. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> sure. A note I found quite amusing. The sex name being used by TNA was used beforehand by a Florida indie group whose press release this week acknowledged the dual use of sex. They they cut a promo on Vince Russo in their, in their press release about using sex. That's some good shit. Their press release stated, Sports Entertainment Extravaganza is ah. proud to present sex. F you, Russo. This Saturday, January 18th at 8pm at Florida WrestlePlex. This will be the third show for the sex promotion based out of St. Petersburg's Florida. Not to be confused with Sports Entertainment Extreme Faction that Riz Russo has brought into TNA. While Sports Entertainment Extravaganza is an upstart promotion where the stars of tomorrow can hone their skills today, all while putting on a fun quality show, Russo's extreme version of <laughs> sex is merely a sad attempt by a man out of ideas to redo the old timers versus NWO feud that was such a failure in WCW. <laughs> Jesus Christ. They went for the throat. There's also a bunch of moments on this show where on these shows where Vince Russo's like, it's not the NWO. It's not the NWO. I swear to God it's not the NWO. Please stop saying it's the NWO. I wonder what he gotten to about this press release from this no name indie company. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm sorry, Sports Entertainment Extravaganza. Sports Entertainment Extreme is a way better name. Mm. Second of all, I applaud and love the idea of putting on a show called F U Russo. <laughs> and my third is... I, I bet Russo would have respected this move, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Russo definitely saw an FU Russo and was like, all right, good, fair play. <laughs> I, honestly, Russo seems like the type to me that loves his worked shoots until the worked shoot is at his expense. Ooh, you think he was pissed? I think he's the kind of t- guy that would be like, oh, I love realism, I love realism, until the realism comes back to bite him in the ass where he becomes gotten to. Mmm. Wow. Just... Oh, tickets are $5. Yeah. If you want to go travel back to January 18, 2003, you can head to the Florida WrestlePlex where you can get $5 tickets. Check out ipw-hardcore.com for details and directions. Don't make me buy ipw-hardcore.com. Let's make sure it's not like porn. <laughs> it's probably porn. Oh, it takes you to their web- um to their YouTube page. Oh, well done. Does it have any sex shows on it? You can't search in YouTube pages, right? I think you can. Let me, uh, right. let me also Oh, you can, this. you can. I searched... Oh, no, but there's a Jimmy Jacobs and Alex Shelley promo from 2004. Ooh, let's see what their most popular video is. It's Abdullah the Butcher versus Jeff Bradley versus Axis versus Kevin Sullivan from IPW Rage in the Cage 4. That's 81,000 views. A bunch of Abdullah the Butcher matches did well for him. Mm. I'm trying to see if there's anything fun. Seems like a lot of Abdullah and a lot of New Jack. Mm. Cedric Strong versus Eric Stevens? That's what I look for in my wrestling. Is that a young Roger? Is that Roderick's brother who also wrestled for briefly? He he's on one of these TNA shows in an Explosion Dark match, actually. Ah, Roderick and oh god, I can't even remember his name now. I didn't put it in the notes. Cedric. Yeah, Roderick and Cedric Alexander. Cedric Strong. Same thing. <laughs> Cedric. Oh, Chris Hero versus Matt Stryker, two thousand and four. Oh, actually, I think if we search the date, which is um, one eighteen. Uh, if anyone wants to go check out a Roderick Strong versus Alex Shelley match from 2004, it's also there. Mm. Former WF star Molly Holly versus Didi Venturi. 
There's a lot of dream matches here on these shows. But like, there's stuff that goes all the way back to 1996 on their YouTube channel. Mm. So, but I can't find anything from I can't find anything from this January 2003 show. Legitimately, if you want to see a bunch of young Alex Shelley, Roderick Strong, and Jimmy Jacobs, <laughs> yeah, shout out to IPW Hardcore for their free promotion right here on the podcast. We'll do our spin-off series all about IPW Hard- Hardcore. <laughs> we'll run through the years. I think there's also a John Cena cameo. Yeah, Cena did indies. No, like. Like a cameo. Like, hair 2021 John Cena. <laughs> they just bought a cameo and put it on their YouTube. I don't I don't think it's an actual cameo, but it's definitely filmed like one. I admire the hustle. So, mm. an official NWRTNA CD is apparently in the works, which would become NWRTNA The Music Volume 1. I'm going to buy it. Well done. Raven! That's the big thing for this month, really. Uh, I'm not that into Raven. <laughs> Raven's WWE contract came up, and two days later he jumped to TNA. Fuck yeah! <laughs> I'm so happy about this. Yeah, if if you watch the uh, watch along, Liam's reaction to Raven is is just pure ecstasy. I threw my hands up in the air and I didn't know what to do with them, so I just kept them up there. <laughs> like Liam is just in pure glee and elation for just the remainder of that watch along and just the entire outro. He's just so happy that Raven has showed up because he, I was actually quite upset if you go and listen to the watch along. There's a period where you notice a Raven sign in the crowd. And I'm like, oh, I don't, mm. I don't want to reveal the surprise that Raven shows up at the end of the show. So I, I tried to play it coy and thankfully you didn't catch on. Yeah, Raven as a kid, Raven was one of my favorite wrestlers. So I'm, I was very excited to see his debut and he looked like a fucking killer yeah like these shows are just desperately desperately in need of stars because like Mm. when bg james is one of like the most well-known big name acts you so badly need somebody new and that somebody new is raven who's a good wrestler and probably even more importantly a great promo and has star value and has a name and can do the right kind of match in the tna environment he's exactly the kind of wrestler tna needed at that obviously like if they could get kurt angle here it would be even better but for Mm. for realistically who tna could pull who tna could afford and who who would be willing to go to tna like raven is the perfect wrestler for them at this stage and um, just going on to the last show for a second, the Raven Jarrett feud mm. feels like the biggest thing this company's ever done. Oh, far enough, and it does over the months develop into like the biggest match in company history. By the time they do it, like it, it's it's a world title match. Like to be fair to the Killings and Jarrett title match back in O two, like that felt like a big title match. It felt like a big deal by the time they actually got to mm. doing it. And like a lot of the other title, like the title matches on these shows are absolutely terrible. It's just Jarrett defending against freaking Don Harris, Daniels, and BG James. Nobody wants mm. to see that. So when you do get to the Jarrett and Raven match, it's like, oh, this is like a real challenger taking it to, to Jarrett, an actual guy who could beat him instead of a guy who you have no faith whatsoever in beating him. Also, for like the first time, it really feels like two stars relatively in their primes fighting in the main event. Yeah, because uh, say, like, Ron Killings, as we mentioned on the, the Patreon show where we gave out awards, breakout star of 2002, easily. But I don't think mm. anybody considered him a main event star, even at that stage. Even now, in, like, early 03, he slipped firmly back at the mid-card. Like, he eats a loss to... Yeah. Was it Flair or Sanders he lost to on these shows? He lost to one of them. Sanders. Yeah, he's uh, lost to Sanders. And fair enough, it's it's via botch interference from Jerry Lynn, but he's still getting pinned by Mike Sanders. So, like, yeah. that tells you how quickly... Killings has been downcycled, and how probably unfairly Killings has been downcycled 
But you do have Raven who feels like the second he shows up, like he shows up at the end of the third show of the month on NWATNA baby number 29, January 22nd. Like Jarrett's just defended the belt. Raven shows up, drops him with the even flow, steals the belt. Crowd goes nuts. He looks really cool with the jacket and the hair and he hits his pose. And it does feel like a cool moment. I already have one criticism of the Raven stuff, though. Oh, no. A, he, he should have kept that look. Mm. It's much better than his look that he ends up going with. And B, his first thing that he did on his ne- on his first real night was get beat up by Jeff Jarrett and saved by Vince Russo. Yeah, so the next night he comes out, or the next week on the January 29th pay-per-view, he comes out, he does his promo, how he wants to win the belt with some of your favorite lines in TNA history. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I, I want to urinate in Jeff Jarrett's bone marrow. Which would take quite a bit of effort to get all the way through to the bone marrow to piss in it. It's also really funny that, like, well, I assume he would murder him first mm. and then chop him into pieces and piss in his bone marrow. <laughs> I think you have thought about this. I mean, I, I broke, it, broke down the psychology of the line, what can I say? Um, and then, more interestingly, it's like, he starts this off and he's over as hell. Mm-hmm. And the whole... Like, Asylum is chanting rave, right? And then he just immediately goes into the you people promo. <laughs> but he, he gets them to turn on him, which I guess is the point. But it just feels like a waste of a star to not use that initial hype and to turn him straight away. And if you think about it, like, Jarrett was a heel, but the sex stuff turned Jarrett babyface. Whereas, yeah. like, if Jarrett was a heel and you had babyface Raven coming in, I think that dynamic is so much better. But I also think you could have played... Like, I know you're doing it with AJ right now, but I think you could have done a more blatant playing both sides character with Raven. Mm. And I think that would have been better because it would have kept him as, like, a tweener leaning baby face, which I think there's a lot more money in than straight up just heel Raven coming in. Especially as, you know, when you're so desperate for stars when the only one you really have is Jarrett. Yeah, and I, I think it does go back to the thing you mentioned where it's like they're already doing, like, three different people, like, flirting with joining sex or maybe not joining sex. So when you introduce Raven to be the next person to do that, it's like, all right, like you did it with Jorge, you did it with AJ, and you even did it with Percy Pringle. So yeah, but I, th- I, my argument would be, I think you would, it'd be better to use it as Raven is using sex as opposed to sex is using Raven. Mm. Like he's using these guys to get his rocks off. <laughs> the joke was right there. No, he's using these guys to get the title, but he's not really with them. Yeah. So we'll talk more about Raven when we get into these shows. Actually, we probably won't. We've mostly talked about what he did anyway. But TNA officials are interested in using Terry Funk because asking prices more than they are willing to pay at this point, according to the Wrestling Observer. That's dumb. I wish we got some Funk stuff in this. Because Punk... Oh, Punk. Funk is the ultimate... <laughs> well... Well, there's a, a Punk versus Cole Cabana match on one of these shows, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that it's taped because I really want to watch it. I, I don't think we can find it. I think, I think we have gone looking for it and I don't think it can be, we've found it yet. Because, um... Uh... Tanae did mention on the second show of the month that uh, Explosion was getting in talks to be syndicated in the US, so maybe it's out there somewhere. Someone has a tape of this Punk and Cabana match. If you do have a tape of Punk versus Cabana on Explosion from 03, please send us the video. Yeah, I, I will download all your sketchy links. If there- Is there a US ditch that I don't know about? <laughs> And the other fun thing, Wrestling Observer Awards came out, and I quite enjoyed that of the eight most disgusting promotional tactic um, winners or votes getters, TNA had three of them. WWE had four. That's true. Winner was Katie Vick. By the way, I'd argue that the Katie Vick necrophilia one is by far, like, is number five compared to some of the other ones on here. Yeah, you have WWE with HLA. The weirdest one, New Japan using Joni Lawler going over men. You really? I'm cancelling the Wrestling Observer (laughs) readers. 
for not liking Johnny Lawler, not liking China winning some matches in New Japan. Okay, so I'm going to say right now, right, the 9-11 anniversary one is worse than the Katie Vick necrophilia angle. Mm-hmm. The trying to, Tina using race for heat is worse. Yep. The Owen Hart segment is worse. Yep. The gay bashing is worse. Mm-hmm. So, I think, like, the Katie Vick thing is, like, the fifth worst thing on this. Also, like, number seven, Dougie giving the title to Hogan. Which is like... That's just you not liking the booking. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the most disgusting promotional tactic. Like, this is pre-Hogan being outed as a horrible racist as well. By, like, decades. Yeah, so, you can't even claim that. Yeah, so, like, uh, yeah, and I get, like, it's a stupid, shitty angle, but, like, there's so much, like, actual real-world worse things than that. Mm. Like, Katie Vick isn't a real person. <laughs> No, it's not actual necrophilia. Like, if Katie Fick was a real person who was living and breathing and then died, then yes, it'd be number one. But it's like, it's a fake person that didn't exist. Uh, so, TNA won a lot more negative awards than they did positive, though uh, Stas and Lynn got some votes for Best Feud of the Year. To, uh, probably to your objections, but... I mean, it's probably the best feud that happened, sure. You were just sick of seeing it by the end of the month. Or the end of the year. Yeah, I was burnt out on it. It's it's like um, when we'd book TEW and after like five times of you booking the same singles match, they would yell at you. It's like, stop it. And you're like, no, I want to book Ray and AJ again. It's every week. We're doing a best of seven series. <laughs> it makes sense in the story. <laughs> All right, that brings us to broad topics of which the first one is just sex. There's so much sex on these shows. It's a heavy sex show. So the biggest feud of the month, as we mentioned, is Vince Russo versus Mike Tanay. And it kind of rules? Like, Mike Tanay <laughs> is the biggest babyface here in our 2003 NWA TNA. Everyone's shouting at him. Everyone's mad at him. There's, like, there's a segment, yeah, where, where Mike Sanders showed up, shows up and just grabs Mike Tanay by, like, the throat at the announce desk. It's like, geez, cool your jets, Mike Sanders. I miss you, Mike. So we have, like, the month starts with uh, Tanay doing that big rally and cry, being like, everyone should stand up for the NWA while Killings, Lynn, and AMW are his big soldiers. Then, in typical TNA fashion, Killings, Lynn, and AMW spend the month losing their matches to sex. Well, we're establishing sex, you know what I mean? <laughs> Gotta get over David Flair. And his mysterious bag. Uh, we talked in depth already about the Mike Tanay-Vince Russo interview, which is probably the most notable thing, as you mentioned, coming out of this month, and it's the thing you should probably seek out. And then the other really big, notable Mike Tanay segment, as this is, as I mentioned, very big Mike Tanay month, is Tony Schiavone shows up, Liam. And he's awful? <laughs> like, not he delivers his lines bad, like, he's a bad guy? <laughs> Tony Schiavone here in 2003 NWA TNA is a misogynist heel. I have to ask you a question, Gary. Okay. These are like your two favourite guys right now. Mm-hmm. Mike Tanay and Tony Schiavone. Love them both. How do you feel about them being combative against each other? What I will give to Schiavone is I actually think he was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, he's... He, that's the thing, though, because, like, I think... There is a certain level of dickishness in Shivani that it's real. Mm-hmm. Like I think he is actually at some point, especially at this point with his like how much he didn't like wrestling, he is kind of a crotchety cunt, and I mean that in the most endearing way I can possibly say it. Like that's just kind of what Tony Shivani is at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to see it like come out as a character is pretty interesting because like. You get the impression from, like, you know, the, like if you ever watch um, or listen to the AEW podcast they do, like, that dude is kind of, like, 
he's kind of a crotchety, like, hitting you with some, like, jabs every now and again kind of guy. Like, he's a, he's a pretty... Secretly sassy, I believe, is the words you're looking for. Exactly, thank you. He's a sassy dude, and I think it's cool that we get to see a bit of a tremendous shirt on the man, too. Yeah, there's a, a note in PW Torch. Most of the company are under the impression that Giovanni was not asked to dress the way he did, but rather, he showed up in that entire... Fuck, yes. He's just like, TNA, Hawaiian shirt. How do you feel about your two announcer guys competing against each other? Well, they're, they're, it's, it's deeply upsetting to see them hate each other this way. They shouldn't be this mad at mm. each other. Mike Tanay and Tony Schiavone should be best pals. And I'm watching 97 Nitro, where like the announce team for the second half of that show on Nitro is, is Schiavone, Brain, and Tanay. Great announce team. So good together as a trio. They serve like every role you could possibly want. So yeah, it does upset me to see them at each other's throat. So yeah, this segment, Goldilocks comes out interviewing Percy Pringle. We will talk more about Percy Pringle in a second, because he also had a month. <laughs> Very weird month for old Percy. Yeah, so Tony Schiavone comes out to interrupt them. He calls Goldilocks horrible names. He makes a Goldilocks and Three Bears who's been sleeping in my bed joke, which I respect the wordplay despite the horrible misogyny. <laughs> which that's really the the state of tna it's like you know what vince russo i respect the delivery despite the horrible content and then um he mentioned that he has these two kids at home and i was like aha it's the one that gets beat up (laughs) oh yeah there you go this is the long-term storytelling so yeah he calls percy pringle fat he's very mean to both of these people then mike tanay eventually interrupts him because the whole idea here is that mike tanay is teasing through the show that like a former associate of mine is coming here to defend the, the honor of the nwa then shivani shows up dressed in a hawaiian shirt burying everything that moves he kind of like comes in dressed as ed ferrar <laughs> he does it, it, he showed up backstage and it's like oh i didn't bring anything to wear out there out in front it's like well we have the leftover ed ferrara costume would you like that and he's like yes it's like can i add the dreadlocks <laughs> no so yeah, him and Tanae go back and forth with this promo about how, oh, you know, Shivani thought that TNA would be the big opportunity for him to get back in the business. But then Tanae was like, oh, I don't want you working here. He buried him backstage and all this stuff about WCW and how they traveled on the road. And it's the classic inside baseball stories you've never heard. These two characters, one of whom has never seen again, shouting at each other constantly. Mm. Damn, Mike, why you gotta why you gotta fuck up my boy Tony's return? Yeah, well, there was a note that the, this was apparently meant to set up a three man desk with a heel Shivani. Ooh, that would be cool. But Tony Shivani hated what he did creatively so badly he never came back. Really, he just hated like this one segment. Yeah, he drove back to Atlanta after the show. This was from the Wrestling Observer. But Raven, Sanders, Russo, and maybe Gilberti. And Shivani told them he thought he was terrible playing heel. He wanted no part of coming back. They were trying to pump him up and say he did well, but he didn't change his tune for the rest of the trip. And basically, JB reported that in his TNA report on the website as well. So apparently, like Shivani just thought he sucked, which actually I didn't think he did. I don't think that's true at all. I think he was like, like you know, the lines are dated, but. As far as, like, just a guy coming in and playing heel, I thought he kind of killed it. Yeah, I thought his delivery was very good. I'm glad that Shivani's back, though, huh? 2021? Of course, very famously, if you remember, in the the AEW ads on Impact, Shivani's line that I did one night in TNA and quit the business for 18 years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This was the one night in TNA! Wow. We do have some other Shivani stuff in the show, my favorite part of which is after Kid Cash and Trinity defeated Sonny Siaki in Desire, Shivani's doing a, an interview in the ring with Sonny Siaki, and Siaki's facing the crowd, and Shivani's like, face the hard camera, kid, and turns him around. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs developmental when you got Tony Shivani to show people where the hard camera is? In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. 
we hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying hey look at some random cards whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off again, that's arena club.com slash VOW net, arena club.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. Old Skiavarn. So, yeah, that's that's our Mike Tanay content for the month. As we said, the biggest baby face on this show is Mike Tanay. It's not even close. Oh, we forgot to mention the, the bit where he just got up and left the desk and go pump Jeff Jarrett up before a main event. After the Dustin Kickoff thing, he's like, oh, I gotta I gotta fire up Jeff Jarrett. So he just goes backstage, gives Jeff Jarrett a pep talk, and Jarrett just kind of blows him off. He was like one step away from slapping him in the face. <laughs> Mike is here to boost you up, Jeff. You should listen to him. He's, he's He should be your hero. Hey, well, he had to go fight three people at once. So. I wish Mike Tanay would give us a pep talk. Maybe one day, huh? Mm. I like to imagine that, like, because you know how, like, Tanay's been very critical of AEW? Well, has he? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Financial stuff, mostly. But I like to imagine it's all just a continuation of the feud with Tony Giovanni. <laughs> He's getting his revenge. Yeah, because, yeah, it's the opposite now, where, like, Giovanni is like, oh, this Mike Tanay guy, he can't come to AEW. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that should be it. But the, the people just think that because anytime he, Dave says something bad about AEW, they just think Tanae's in his ear. He's just echoing Tanae's thoughts. Because Tanae's only done one interview, I think, where he's talked about AEW, which was, I think, back in 2020, where he did some Hall of Fame stuff and they touched on AEW. And I think he just didn't like the violence stuff in AEW. All right, well, Tanae, open invitation to come talk about AEW on the show. <laughs> or TNA if you want. 
Or both. I mean, we can, I guess we can talk about TNA as well. We can talk about this uh, Tony Giovanni segment. So, as we mentioned, there are also Percy Pringle moments on this show. So, Paul Bearer has had a grand old time. He starts the month doing an interview where he talks about, like, the history of his career and what he might be doing in TNA. Teasing, he might be managing somebody. Then the next week, after the Mike Tanay interview, Vince Russo comes out and cuts a promo before he's interrupted by Percy Pringle. Percy Pringle says that he would like to join sex. He has seen the error of his ways. Vince Russo is right. Sports entertainment is the way to go. To be fair, he, um was always playing the field. Mm. He was always going, well, you know, I like some things about the classical wrestling, but, you know, I got very big in a sports entertainment environment. So he was playing both sides in that interview with Tanae. So it wasn't like a complete swerve for him to be like, I want to join up with SEX. So yeah, he has chosen sex. He would like to be friends with sex until they say, no, we don't want you and beat the living shit out of him. Yeah, no, they, they fuck him up. <laughs> yeah, he's bleeding. He's like, like it's probably the biggest blade job in TNA history. And there's been some pretty big blade jobs already in TNA history. But like, he's just dripping blood all over the steps. It's a nasty blade job. Ugh. Jorge Estrada tries to save him and gets his ass kicked too. Which I think you didn't even notice. Now that I'm remembering it, I think I was just so enamored by the segment and and uh, Percy just bleeding like <laughs> fucking everywhere that I forgot about the Jorge running. I am skeptical about this sex group with Glenn Gilberti and David Flair and Mike Sanders. That suddenly they're like, nah, Paul Bearer, we don't want you. We have standards. Well, you know, Mike Sanders cutting promos, what can I say? Yeah, very strange segment. Then he comes back later in the week or month to be demeaned by Tony Schiavone. So it's not a great month for Percy Bringle here in TNA. Listen, it's not the best. The other big sex thing going on, Jarrett is also feuding with sex, as we mentioned. So he spends the month just beating all of sex by himself three on one mostly yeah um there was some cool stuff that came out of it though like we got to see some brief uh instances of some decent one-on-ones with daniels and key and uh <laughs> and elix skipper falling on his own head oh god yeah so on the first show of the month january 8th there's a, a it's technically a series of three matches it's not a gauntlet because Jarrett would be wrestling three men regardless of whether he won or lost so he wrestles all three members of triple triple x back to back he beats daniels then he wrestles skipper and skipper tries to do the thing where he runs into the ropes and you know you do the arms over the ropes and you fake doing a dive and you fake the guy out except he got caught and just fell on his head it it looked rough it looked real real bad but those matches those, those matches were boring this is a hell of a month, people landing on their head. Oh, yeah, because later there's a Jorge match where he does a dive. He's a, I think that's the red it was match. disgusting. Or it legitimately looks like he might have ended his career doing that dive. It, he, on the next show, he like lost 85% of the volume in his head, and I imagine <laughs> it had to be removed. He just lost it in the dive. Yeah. It fell off when he hit the, hit the ground with his forehead. Oh, uh, yeah, not a good week or month even for people just dropping themselves right in their head and potentially nearly ending Even Key was, like, messing up some stuff in his stuff, too. It was, it was a rough one. That's what I mean. Like, this month for wrestling, just abs- it's just so bad. Even the good wrestlers were bad this month. Even AJ had some rough times, but I suppose AJ and uh, Zabisco was, like, legitimately the best series of the whole month. Because yeah, you do mention these Daniel Skipper and Loki matches, and they're just, they're no good. They're so dull. I hate the last two, but I like the Daniels one. Yeah, so after that match, Sex attacks Jarrett and company before Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, makes his TNA debut. Oh my god. This is a big month. There's so many debuts this month. So was last month. That just seems to be the... 
the ethos of the company. Yeah, there's people showing up left, right, and center. Like two or three people surprise us every every week. So Dusty Rhodes main events the next show announced main event was Triple X against the team of the Road Warriors and Jeff Jarrett. Which I'm not sure why Jarrett needed the Road Warriors, given he beat all of Triple X himself the week before. Because it would have been three on one <laughs> this time, Garrett. So there's a promo in the middle of the show where Dusty Rhodes comes out and he starts cutting this promo about how would you rather have Flair wrestle Steamboat or would you rather have a midget jerk off in a trash can? I don't know. Puppet's pretty great. <laughs> Which, by the way, funny to go back to the denying Vince Russo's involvement in the company watch where during yeah. that period we were like, Russo has nothing to do with any of this and now Dusty Rhodes is here on a 2003 show citing that as an example of why Vince Russo shouldn't be involved in wrestling. As they're saying it, like, still, about different things. Yeah. It's like, we can't trust this company. I think this is the very month where it's, I think the, the facade begins to drop because, like, Jerry's more or less out of power. The, like, creative is running through Jarrett by all accounts, which is the reason you see a lot more Russo ideas on the show because Jarrett, or Jeff even, I should have to testify. They're both named Jarrett. Jeff is having more of the final say over Jerry. So that's the reason you're seeing more and more and more and more Vince Russo ideas on these shows. But as we were talking about, Dusty doing that promo where he's talking about would you rather have these traditional wrestling icons or would you rather have the sports entertainment, they go face to face, like, this will never make sense to me. This is weekly pay-per-view. We've talked about this before, where, like, if you're setting anything up on weekly pay-per-view, it should always be for the following week. Because Mm -hmm. people have already bought the pay-per-view. So people don't know that Vince Russo and Dusty Rhodes are going to be wrestling on this pay-per-view until into the second hour. Like, it's fine on a TV show. People can just change the channel. Like, nobody's going to be like, oh, God, you know, I just found out that Vince Russo and Dusty Rhodes are, are wrestling on this show. I'm going to buy the pay-per-view. I'm going to call my pay-per-view provider. <laughs> yeah, dial up DirecTV to desperately get in that last second order. That's not how anybody is going to operate. So, like, I, I'll never understand why they do this, where they... Like, and that's a pretty big main event. Russo and Triple X against Dusty Rhodes, the Road Warriors, and Jeff Jarrett as your eight-man tag team main event, with the stipulation that if Team Russo wins, Russo could pick all the challengers for the titles the following week. Like, that's a big stipulation. That's a big match. And they they just don't advertise it. They just make the match and do the match in the same night. That makes no sense. I'll tell you right now, it's because Russo thinks they're booking TV. He literally Freudian slipped and said TV one week. Yeah, these shows, they're entirely booked as television. Like, top to bottom. They're just TV shows. Which is why it doesn't work. I honestly don't even think the monthly pay-per-view model is necessarily bad. I don't think it works in this era, but perhaps it could work in another. Mm. But no one's booking it in a way that's conducive to that system. It's all being treated as if it was TV, which is not how it should work. Yeah, like the idea of booking a weekly pay-per-view, like the philosophy behind that is fundamentally different than booking weekly television. You have to have entirely different ideas, entirely different philosophies, entirely different ways of doing things because you have to give people their $10 value for money every single week. You can't just be like, this is a setup show. You're asking people for 10 bucks. You can't give them a setup show for 10 bucks. Yeah, it's rough. So yeah, that brings us to the main event, which there's a lot of star power in that main event. You have, well, mostly on the other side, you have Dusty, the Road Warriors, and Jarrett as a tag team. The Road Warriors only TNA match as a team. Uh, I thought the match was pretty disappointing. There wasn't much to it. I liked it, but I think I just liked it because I like seeing these guys interact with each other. Mm. I like seeing Dusty and the Road Warriors doing stuff with... Loki <laughs> and Christopher Daniels, you know. 
My favorite, like, weird Road Warriors interaction was at the end of the January 8th show where the Road Warriors do a run-in to try and save da- Jarrett until Styles shows up and just lays out both of the Road Warriors by himself. What can you say? He's a heavyweight now. That's true. He hits Animal with a missile dropkick, hits Hawk with an Inzagori, and he's just standing tall having laid out the Road Warriors one on two. I can't believe they agreed to that. <laughs> Yeah, it is fun to see these guys. There was a fun Road Warriors interview on this very show as well, where the most notable thing for me is as Animal's cutting his promo and Goldilocks has the microphone in his face, the spike on the shoulder pad of Animal constantly like <laughs> stabbing Goldilocks in the face. And she's, and she's like, ah, fuck. <laughs> she's, she's trying to swat it out of the way. It's very enjoyable. <laughs> Goldie's facial expressions have always been... A true uh, peak of this show. It's funny every week. I don't. I haven't put them in because they just feel like you know gossip. But every every couple of weeks in like the PW Torch, there's this story, like a story about how well, Goldilocks has heat again because people think she doesn't understand the business or she's going into business for herself. It's like she's really good on these shows. Leave her alone. Well, you know what it is. It's just like anyone who gets over that they didn't de- deem worthy to get over. Also, Goldilocks got a concussion on one of these shows. Yeah. Goldie's taking bumps and shit. Fuck off. Yeah, you leave Goldie alone. But that match ends when Mr. Wrestling 4, who was introduced earlier in the show, comes out, attacks Dusty, and reveals himself to be Nikita Koloff. <laughs> By God. I was like, oh my God, it's some guy. <laughs> Not a big fan of 80s NWA, Liam? Uh, that's, that didn't exist. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, everything that happened before you were born just didn't happen? No, the early 90s it happened. Okay, so everything that, that happened five years before you were born or earlier didn't happen. Yep. Oh, fair enough. Kabashi's uh, young boy trial run happened, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, you know, everything before that. <laughs> Fake news. Basically. So the following week, Dusty and Nikita Koloff tried to reconcile because they used to be a tag team in the 80s, the superpowers during the... the... It was a badass segment, though, wasn't yeah. it? It was a badass fucking segment. Because, like, during the, the heat of the Cold War, you had the Russian character, like, the American dream and the Russian nightmare coming together to form the superpowers to put the political differences aside and become a team. Um, Cody would be very proud of all those political differences being put aside. But that's, that's where he got the ideas. Should have done that with Anthony Agogo. Yeah, they should have put their political differences aside. That's true. But yeah, they... <laughs> finally, the British and the Americans coming together like everyone is ecstatic for. Yay! The two best countries. Uh, so yeah, Dusty invites Nikita Koloff out. He, it's like, stand up on the announce table so I can look at you, I die. And he cuts this promo about how we were once friends and pals. And you should be on the side of tradition because that's where you came from. And we're still like not certain of where like, Nikita Koloff's uh, loyalties lie. We're not sure does he just have issues with Dusty. Again, this is the same story they told with AJ. And the same story they kind of told with Raven. And even like it's kind of with Percy Pringle. There's just a lot of people playing both sides here. But Nikita Koloff, we don't know, is it just a dusty issue he has, or has he joined sex? He's never coming back. I don't know why. <laughs> I, 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 he's never showing up again. You will be pleased to know, this one gets a payoff. <gasps> By God. So you can look forward to that. I'm not sure it's in February, but I think it's in February, but I can't say for certain. Because, like, so much of this stuff doesn't get payoffs, because you get that Shivani segment, where he comes out, he cuts this promo on Mike Tanay, and they seem like they're going somewhere. And that's Tony Shivani's only appearance on Impact until 2020, when he shows up as part of AEW on an ad with Tony Khan. So, like, he disappears off this show for literally 18 years and then pops up again. And so many of the people on these shows just show up and they disappear. Like the Rock and Roll Express, who we'll talk about in a minute, show up and disappear. So, so many people. They show up and put over AMW and leave, you know? <laughs> That's, yeah, they definitely put over AMW. <laughs> uh, so, Jarrett, going back to his feud with Sex in the main event of the 
January 22nd show, he defeats Don Harris, BG James, and Christopher Daniels in a, a three-on-one match to retain the title as when Raven debuted. It was elimination. Yeah. He, ble- he got fucked up in that match. Real physical, uh, blood everywhere. And then we get the yeah the debut of Raven. Yeah, that match did not deserve the blade job Jeff Jarrett did for it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was just an excuse so that Raven could get away with the belt, you know? That's true. He's like, oh, I'm not taking this DDT from Raven unless I'm like literally pouring blood down in the middle of the ring. And then last show of the month, Jarrett kind of pivoted away from sex toward Raven, which I guess is still currently a sex feud at the moment, but where he's uh, feuding over the belt, he, uh, Raven steals his belt, Jarrett gets his belt back, Styles steals the belt off Raven again to end the month. Do we have any knowledge base mm-hmm. on when about uh, the TNA Raven deal came about? Well, like his WWE contract expired on January 20th, and he showed up in TNA on January 22nd. <laughs> Yeah, but you don't think, like, they were talking before that to be like, hey, once your contract's up, could we come in planning this? Do you think it was, like, a last-minute, oh, Raven's free? Let's get Raven in, kind of thing. I'd say a bit of both, because I'd say they put feelers out to people, and because and, I, I don't I remember reading anything about Raven being a guy they were negotiating with or interested in. And, and you like, uh, I don't really think we've mentioned that at any, any stage on the show so far. So I feel like that's a note mm-hmm. that would have come up, either in Jerry's book or, or through the media at some stage if that was a thing but he's a welcome addition kind of feels like uh oh he's available let's get him in yeah like oh his contract's up oh he's available now we can literally have him like be done with WWE on a on a freaking monday yeah on a monday and a show up here on a wednesday that's pretty cool let's do it yeah because I'm, I'm curious if the original plan was to pivot straight into aj jeff but then raven came available and they're like we'll do this aj larry zabisco thing while we do the Raven Jeff stuff, and that like they they are building Raven AJ and Jeff because like Raven and AJ do have a promo on the show where they drop some annoying homophobia and then brawl for a little bit, just a, just a little casually, you know. It's like oh, you know, we went a month without any homophobia, so we'll just throw in some like you're gay, isn't that funny? Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! I have suggested that you look like a gay man, and that is an insult. <laughs> and the crowd goes ooh. Oh, 2003. Right after they had, like, their, you know, sixth ranked uh, worst thing of the year was their gay bashing. <laughs> yeah, so they're like, let's double down. I think the the thing they're going for is, like, the the three-way feud with their Raven, AJ, and Jared. Like, that's the big, the, the world title picture at the moment. Mm. So it does kind of feel like they were, they were already moving in the AJ, Jared direction. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, we have Raven. Let's just put him in there, too. Yeah. And those are three pretty good people you can build your world title scene around. Well, they're the three only people, so... Alright, that's everything to do with Jarrett and sex for the month. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> the other recurring sex feud through the month was Jerry Lynn and Ron Killings feuding with David Flair and Mike Sanders. Yeah, but like, is there really much to say about this? <laughs> it's mostly that it's really bad. They have a lot of really bad matches up and down these shows. And not, they're not even bad, you know? It's not like it's like, oh, they're sloppy or they fall apart. It's just they're... They're just dull. They're criminally boring. Yeah. The big thing is that... With some really bad finishes, too. Mm, like, like, oh, God, in the last show of the month, like, when you get the Lynn against Flair match, where, oh, Killings interferes to accidentally cost Lynn the match. Then you get the Killings against Sanders match. It's like, oh, Lynn interferes to accidentally cost Killings the match. That one, I don't even know if that one was accidental. That one just seemed blatant. Lynn, it's a receipt, is it? 
Yeah, like, like he just went and got the bag. Like, he was going to fucking womp Killingsworth. And then Killings was like, you're going to womp me with this bag? We should explain. David Flair has a sack. He has a burlap sack with a thing in it. We don't know what the thing is, but he's using it to win his matches. I'm terribly concerned that we're never going to find out what the thing is. To be fair, that one also gets a payoff, so. Thank God. I, you know what I originally thought? I was like, ha, it's going to be like a crowbar. <laughs> that was my guess. And then I was like, wait, no, it's like a picture frame. It, it feels like it's a cookie sheet. The way, like, the sound it makes when he hits people with it, it sounds like a cookie sheet. Yeah, but like, is the payoff going to be that it was a cookie sheet? You know no. what I mean? Like, it may have been a cookie sheet the entire time, but like, he'll whip it out and it'll be the WCW US title. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's everything sex related, at least without going into the individual divisions, which has more sex related stuff. Yeah. So I'm tired of sex. Yeah, there are, as we mentioned, tons of debuts and returns across these shows. Like Larry Zbysko debuts, Mike Sanders debuts, Dusty Rhodes debuts, Raven debuts, Nikita Koloshia debuts, the Rock and Roll Express debut, Tony Schiavone debuts, and then Conan and Disco return to the company. So like, there's there's a lot of people showing up. That seems to be the the ethos. Like, we may not be able to do good storylines, but we can still have people shop for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, we can get Shivani, and it'll be interesting for a moment, and you'll never see him again. And we can get the Rock and Roll Express. Let's talk about the Rock and Roll Express because we're going to pivot to the tag teams. Yeah, uh, and not a great tag team month, even though the two best matches of the month are tag team matches with AMW. But again, it feels like the tag division has gone back after having a pretty good December with those AMW New Church matches and all that. They've taken a backseat. Even though, as I mentioned, AMW against New Church, which is their big blow-off where AMW regained the World Tag Team titles on the January 8th show, in a match where they threw literally every single, like, shortcut and gimmick and and near-fall and interference spot and spike, anything they could think of they did, and it kind of ruled. Yeah, like, um, this is kind of what you wanted for their blow-off, though, right? Like, short of a first blood match, which is the perfect blow-off, this is what you want. You just want these two teams to go out there and do all of the plunder and all of the debauchery and all of the Belladonna and James Mitchell and Spike and interference spots you can think of in a match where apparently Slash legitimately lost a tooth. So, like, they did go hard. Like, I love this match. I thought this match absolutely rolled. I thought it was easily the best of the AMW New Church matches. I don't know if it's my favorite of the matches, but it might be. I want to rewatch it, actually. Because I feel like I'm... I think I got distracted during it or something because I remember liking it, but I don't remember a lot about it. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to. I'll revisit it in a minute, but uh, yeah, just these 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 two teams just have a uh, good chemistry together, yeah. and it's like a chaotic chemistry too, where they just beat the hell out of each other. Um, it also kind of feels like we might be riding off the new church. So, well, no, they show up at the end of the month. Do they? In what? Remember they do the match between the Rock and Roll Express and AMW, and then New Church come out. Oh after? yes, they show up as like one of the many things that happen in that fucking. <laughs> yeah, match. and they do like five things before the show ends. Yeah. Yeah, there's like a billion things going on at that point. But they come out and they start attacking Skipper. Yeah, as friends. The reason they're attacking Skipper is because AMW lost the World Tag Team titles to Triple X on the January 22nd show. They only held the belts for two weeks. Uh, They had a match against Divine Storm in between, which cool but yeah triple x the team of loki and skipper won the tag titles apparently loki was surprised that he won the tag titles because he was going on a japan tour and you're like you're gonna put the tag titles on me all right and they're like yeah but there's three yeah we can have daniels when one of you aren't there it seems like an odd choice to put key in that position but i guess they didn't want jared to pin him and yeah they, they had uh jared uh, daniels in the main Again? event yeah so yeah i don't know it's an interesting choice but like the regular team of triple x would go on to be daniels and skipper but yeah, here, they I guess they chose Daniels to be the guy in the main event, so it was Loki was the guy that got the tag team title win. To be fair, I think Daniels is the one of all the of three of them that needs the most establishment at this point. Mm. 
because like Skipper and Key have been on these shows basically from the beginning, but Daniels like fell off. And basically, anytime Daniels is on these shows, he loses. So yeah, so but like you know, at least putting the putting him in there in a big spot with Jared is going to get people starting to associate Daniels with that kind of position, which is I think a, a necessary reestablishment for the character. Uh, this is not the last. We will talk about AMW and Triple X, Liam. Nah, I think that's it. <laughs> They're wrestling. It's a one and done. Obviously, they're going to Triple X and the Disciples, so... Never coming back to AMW. Yeah, AMW's got to finish up their feud with the Rock and Roll Express. Of course. But yeah, this is this is the beginning of one of the sto- most storied rivalries in the Asylum area of TNA and beyond. So, you can look forward to a lot more Triple X AMW talk in the future. Isn't the, like, the big blow-off match your favourite TNA match? Yes, the Turning Point 2004 match is, according to me, the best match in TNA history. Wow. I'll, I'll look forward to saying it was a solid three and a half. <laughs> I'll fight you. I will go to Australia to punch you in the face. <laughs> They'll arrest me for punching you in the face and violating lockdown, but I'll do it anyway. No, they won't. There's a lot of punching in the face and violating lockdown going right now. Oh, no, I don't want to be in the boat with those people. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and then the final tag team match of the month where the Rock and Roll Express show up and you're like, whoa. Okay, so this is really interesting because I was watching that the match where they show up right and beat up AMW. I was... As I was watching it, I was going, man, AMW feel like a really old school tag team. I wish they could face, like, the Rock and Roll Express. <laughs> and then immediately after I said that, the Rock and Roll Express rolled into the fucking ring. And I was like, am I a god? Do I just wish things to happen and they happen? But did you not have any idea that they showed up in TNA at this point? No, I had no clue that they ever showed up. Well, but it was just funny, like, out of all the times of watching AMW, this is the time where I said to myself, oh man, them and the Rock and Roll Express would be cool. Mm. Well, you got it. Maybe not in the way you wanted, but you got it. So, yeah, let's break down this feud. So, yeah, Rock and Roll Express come out to save AMW from a sex attack, and then turn heel immediately. Swivel the hips, baby. Swivel the hips. It's a swerve. They hit AMW with the chairs. Then they they get, pull off their t-shirts to reveal sex shirts, and there you are. Yeah. AMW versus Heel Rock and Roll Express is your tag team feud. We should have known that um they were going to rip off the shirts when the shirts were like half cut <laughs> already, and one of them was back to front. That's the big tail, isn't it? Yeah. What did you think of AMW's t-shirt and headband combination that they were rocking on one of these shows? Honestly, it makes them look like wholesome, regular, old-school baby faces, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, right? I think that's what I think that's what started spurning the, the old-school idea in my head as I was watching it. Yeah, uh, Rock and Roll Express, they looked real bad in this tag team match. Yeah. They look better now. I was gonna say, that that's my big takeaway. Like, 2019 Rock and Roll Express doing, like, New Japan matches with Tanahashi looked way better than 2002 Rock and Roll Express 17 years earlier. I think it might have just been, now they, like, they know what they want to be. Mm. And back then they were still trying to be what they were. And of course, dreadfully miscast as heels. Like, these guys are the most yes. natural baby faces in, like, the history of wrestling. Yeah, why didn't bring in Midnight? What the fuck? <laughs> the actual heel team. Why didn't you do Midnight versus AMW? We will get a Bobby Eaton appearance in 2003. I'm so excited. I've been wa- I watched a bunch of Bobby Eaton stuff after he passed. And also just old-time banger of a theme song. Yeah, so a uh, real weird thing, this Rock and Roll Express. They don't come back. By all accounts, they weren't pleased with how bad they looked, which is fair because they did look really bad. I like how their whole... Like, all these guys are like, oh man, we looked like shit. We're not going to come back and fix it. It's just, we're going to leave. Yeah, so move on. They, like, they do They do have another match, I think, the next month, but they don't immediately come back. Can they fucking put over AMW before they fucking leave? Well, you can wait until 2016 when they appear in Tag Team Apocalypto. 
Oh, yeah. Just I remember that. Their most recent TNA match. For now. We had some other small tag team stuff, like SATs at a six-man tag, but that was the only Maximos appearance of the month. I'm worried about my boys, the Maximos. Yeah. I'm so worried. Because, like, Red has gone on a Japan tour, which is the reason, like, Red is downplayed on these months as well, or these this month as well. So, like, without the uh, Red there, they're like, ah, oh, we can't book the Maximals. This is a scary month, Garrett. <laughs> For all of our NW, NWA TNA originals. <laughs> they're being downcycled in favour of the Rock and Roll Express and Larry Zabisco. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm worried. And then the other team, basically, the, the only other team this month is Divine Storm, who just lose a one-off to AMW and aren't seen otherwise. And then their manager goes to someone cooler. Kid Cash takes their manager, so... Things aren't looking good for the future of Divine Storm. The only original who came out of this month looking good was our boy uh, David Young. Yeah, and even then, he broke Jason Cross's hand, so... (laughs) Yeah, and? (laughs) Oh, sorry, that makes it even better in your eyes, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, isn't that sweet fucking spine buster? That does pivot us onto the X Division, which is basically dead. Which is why I said that. Yeah, I said, yeah, we're good, good. We got a good dynamic here. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah, because most of the month's X Division stuff is built around Kid Cash and Sonny Siaki, and then they're having mixed tag team matches. Oh, Vince Russo! <laughs> so it's shock of all shocks. The month of TNA in which uh, the worst wrestling is in the ring is the month in which the X Division is featured least. <laughs> Uh, and like we have reached a stage where like Styles has moved heavyweight Lynn is doing the thing with David Flair and freaking Mike Sanders yeah. Loki is doing tag team stuff so like the, the, the three guys who were the pinnacles or the, the pillars of the X Division for the first six months of TNA have all moved on to things outside the X Division and it's not even that the people that are left in the X Division are bad because I think Cash and Siaki are fine it's just there's pretty much nobody else oh sorry there's a Tony Mamaluke match as well I was going to say, I almost forgot to do the giant payoff to the Tony Mamaluke teasers. Oh yeah, so David Young and Tony Mamaluke defeat Easy Money and Kid Cash on the January 8th show, and you want to talk a lot about Tony Mamaluke's theme song. He has the main event mafia theme! <laughs> to be fair, I think it's just the Godfather theme ripoff, which the main event mafia theme is also a ripoff of, but yes. No, no, I'd listen to them back to back. That is a proto version of the Main Event Mafia theme. Because the Main Event Mafia theme is also a ripoff of the Godfather theme. Yeah, fine, okay. But all I'm saying is, for the Main Event Mafia theme, they went back into the catalogue and they found that Tony Mamaluke theme and they're like, alright, we gotta, we gotta zoosh this up a bit, but this is it. Because it's the same song. It is the same song. What's the name of the dude from NXT? The Italian dude? Oh, Tony D'Angelo. This should be his theme song. Of course, yes. <laughs> Just imagine the tweets I can make about that at that point. And this is Easy Money's final proper match. He's on a couple of Boo! explosions after this. Boo! <laughs> Why are they ruining this company now? All the good wrestlers, everybody you like is gone. Uh, at least they had the Australia episode. That kind of saved it. Yeah, Easy Money, this is probably the last. We'll mention his name on this here podcast. What's his last appearance? You've been saying everyone's last appearances. Did he make a random one-off at some point? No, he does a couple explosions, so we won't probably talk about him. Oh, well, uh, R.I.P. to Easy Man. You'd think he would have been a sex candidate for sure. Yeah. Come on, Mike Sanders. You're meant to be recruiting. Look at this guy. He's literally stripping in the ring. What more do you want for sex? He's sex personified. Uh, so that's the X Division. Real weak month for the X Division. The weakest, someone would say. Yeah, which is the reason it's quite bad. All right, let's do this weird Conan shit. <laughs> yeah, so Conan starts showing up on the second show of the month, and then every week he shows up, hits a bunch of people with canes, then Burt Prentice comes out, who's the co-host of Explosion and local promoter. He passed away, we mentioned the recently. But mm-hmm. 
it's very strange. He just comes out, he attacks people with a, a single cane. They are like, why are you here, Conan? And he's like, I won't tell you. But then at the end of the month, it's like, Mike, give me an interview next week and I'll tell you. Even though I don't work here and all that ever happens is I run in, hit people with a cane and get arrested. Politely escorted off the venue. <laughs> so, yeah, this is Conan. Conan is back. Um, obviously, the, the, the prototypical beginnings of the LAX, I assume. It does lead to actually a pretty neat angle. So we have that to look forward to. Like, the this angle that it leads to, I actually quite enjoy. Mostly because it leads to some pretty cool cameos. But you can look forward to that in the months to come. I'm a I'm a Conan fan. I'm, I'm excited for this. Why, what do you like about Conan? He's just a cool dude, isn't he? Look at him. He goes out there, he's loud, he's charismatic, he's big, beats people up. What more do you want from a wrestler? It's literally all of the things you want from a wrestler. Pretty unique sense of style as well. <laughs> yeah. I like I like I like my Conan. Yeah, there's the various interesting Conan fits on these shows. I'm looking forward to him. So yeah, that's Conan. He's around. Hanging we out. mentioned it a couple times in passing, but the, the big AJ Styles story of the month is that Larry Zabisco shows up making his TNA debut, the living legend. And has some bangers. Surprisingly so. As we mentioned, like Larry is 50, I think either 51 or 52 at the stage, depending on his birthday is. He's like uh, early 50s and he's out there having, fair enough, he's in there with AJ, who's the best wrestler in the company. Actually, you know, technically that's Jerry Lynn based on who I gave the award to. But uh, Excuse me, thank you. You've just admitted that I was right, but thank you. Continue. He's in there with AJ and he's just having good wrestling matches. And I think that's the reason like they stand out in these shows where you get so many like David Flair style like WCW power plant walk and brawl kick punch matches. And you get AJ and Larry who just go out there and like just do a bit of wrestling. And um, in the, the watch along, we questioned whether or not he was going to try and slow AJ down to work a match, brother. Or if he was going to, you know, try and go to AJ's level. And my man went in there and he went to AJ's level as best he could. And that's remarkable in its own way. Like, taking big bumps, big spills to the outside. Um, cutting, like, yeah, like I said before, really dynamic promos that dragged along at times. But, you know, some interesting promos from him too. And, yeah, this whole Styles thing I thought was really good. And we got, like, peak AJ Styles cocky prick here too. Yeah, and Larry invented the TNA kick. Oh, it's astonishing, right? If you're wondering where did the TNA kick come from, it's Larry Zabisco of all people. Yeah, I think that's the first time we've seen the TNA kick. Most people would think it's like Chris Sabin or Alex Shelley. Yeah, Sabin would have been my guess for sure. But no, it's it's Larry Zabisco invented the TNA kick. If you don't know what the TNA kick, it's like the spinning back mule kick that you can picture like Sabin doing in your head a million times. Yeah, if you if, if you ever watched an X Division match from like 2004 onwards, you saw several of them. So yeah, you get these two AJ and Zabisco matches, the premise of which is that AJ is, well, was being managed by Mortimer Plumtree. AJ is now saying he's a man by himself, but Larry Zabisco wants to manage and guide AJ. Because in the biggest lie I've ever heard in my life, he says he sees a young, a, a young himself in AJ. And I'm like, <laughs> they could not be two more polar opposite pro wrestlers, AJ Styles and Larry Zabisco. It's in that they are both... White men. <laughs> yes, that's how he sees himself in AJ Styles. And were the sa- and he was once the same age as AJ. That is statistically true. And they both wrestle. They were both in TNA. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, just an interesting storyline. I don't mind. Um, Mortimer Plumtree obviously pissed off about his $100,000 investment. Uh, just saying no. <laughs> Did you not sign a contract at any point? <laughs> AJ does not obey contract law. No, actually, Mother, uh, Mortimer said that it was a signing bonus. Mm. So there is a contract in play. He should sue AJ. He should. He should take him to court. He should bring in Joseph Park. 
There you go. So yeah, they have two matches. The first of which is more like Larry trying to match AJ's pace, and the second of which is just most of that second match. It's a ten minute match where the stipulation is that if AJ cannot beat Larry twice in ten minutes, he will have to allow Larry to be his manager. So AJ beats him once but can't beat him twice. But like most of that match is Larry just stretching AJ. <laughs> yeah. That second one was real gnarly. Like, just gets him out on the mat, starts doing holds, starts, like, stretching him in all these directions, starts yanking his leg. It's, like, just an old-school, like, grizzled, angry vet stretching a young guy. It's actually quite enjoyable. Yeah, and which is funny, because, like, the first match is really AJ just outclassing him and outspeeding him the whole time. So it was nice that, like, Larry, like, kind of learned from that first match. And was able to shut down AJ a lot uh, more effectively in the second match. And even then, still, the premise of the second match is, like, Larry just has to survive AJ. You know, he's not in AJ's league. He is beaten once by AJ yeah. in this 10-minute period. Like, he just has to survive AJ. Yeah, it's a, it's a good little dynamic. Honestly, might be the best stuff from these shows for me. Yeah, it's just good, simple wrestling that's not just guys doing work shoots constantly. Yeah. There's women's wrestling on these shows, for once. Actual women's wrestling. Is it good? Probably not. Is it getting any, like, remote attention? Not really. But it's there, and they're not entirely... Actually, no, I was going to say they're not just stripping each other, but most of the matches involved them ending up stripping each other somehow. But listen, baby steps. Yeah, well, slowly getting there. All right, all right, that's, I think, everything I have for broad topics coming out of this. You want to go show by show? Yeah. So January 8, 2003, as you mentioned, that's the show in which the Cole Cabana CM Punk match was before. Do you have any notes from this show? If, please, if anyone if anyone has it, please, please. Um, yeah, my only big note from this match is that Hennig and David Flair had a dud of a match that I hate. Oh, yes, indeed. And that's a very notable match because that's the final match of Kurt Hennig's career. Oh, well, now I feel like shit. It's a real bummer of a match to go out of. Like, it's a three-minute freaking axe handle on a pole match. Like, who cares? When nothing happens and no one gets over and nothing is... It's just nothing. Nothing is needed about this. Yeah, Hennig would go on to pass away on February 10th, 2003, following acute cocaine intoxication. It was stated that painkillers and steroids also contributed to his death. So, like, we mentioned this before. If you haven't watched Kurt Hennig in his prime... Go and watch Kurt Hennig at his prime. He's one of the best, right? You'll enjoy the heck out of him. If you've only watched Kurt Hennig in NWATNA, you have not seen even <laughs> remotely the best of Kurt Hennig. Who is that guy? Who is the guy who's only seen Kurt Hennig in TNA? I don't know. The person who only watches TNA? Chad, if you're out there <laughs> and you've only seen Kurt Hennig in DNA, go watch some WWF stuff. Uh, this show actually did open with a recap video that was over five minutes long. Yeah. The show, like, it's, a, it's all about the happenings of sex in recent weeks. And it's where the sex theme debuted, by the way. You heard it in that recap video first before they came out. And five minutes. I zoned out. I was, like, doing Twitter stuff. It's like, oh, I haven't watched this show in a way. Oh, is this video package still going? <laughs> yep. Five minutes of video package. It's still going to this day, fun fact. On pay-per-view, as we mentioned, people paid $9.99 to watch this five-minute recap package. I guess the logic here is that they missed a week, so there may be new people. Well, how about you hook them with something good? Listen, it's not a good idea. I'm just giving one. I'm just giving one, okay? Uh, I like the, the fact that Russo explained that he has friends in management to explain why he has entrance music. Yeah, I see, that's the thing. There's a lot of things to dislike about Russo and things that he does on this show. But I really think Russo as a character in front of the screen is, like, the least of the worries. Mm. I think he's a good promo. I think he is... When it comes to his own stuff, he's, like... 
he does have a certain sense of wanting to explain things instead of just leaving uh, threads. And that probably comes from the whole writer aspect of it. But there's some things about Russo which are legitimately good. It's just the booking that comes along with Russo. Yeah, and you watch that Mike Tanay sit down, it's like, Vince Russo is so annoying. Like, he's a great heel. You do want to just punch him in the face. You know, like, when he when he called the world title a prop, I was like, it's not a, it's not a prop, it's the world bloody title. And I, you know, I was like, it's like, he got me with that line. Cause that, but the problem is, he actually believes that, mm-hmm. and it's not just him saying it to get heat. If all of this was just Russo saying this to get heat, it would be perfect. But... It's him saying it as a way of getting his actual thoughts about the business out. There's a moment on the show where Sonny Siak and Desire are coming out. And Desire gets a nameplate in which she is titled Miss Sex. Miss Sex. She is Miss Sex. And, and Don West refers to her as Miss Sex. And then Mike Tanay is like, where'd you get that from? It's like, it was on her nameplate, Mike. Well, I assume they dropped the Miss Sex thing pretty quickly. Uh, I did like Vince Russo saying at one stage, people don't didn't come here to see you. People came here to see sex. <laughs> and to be fair, the crowd cheers. That's true. They are here to see sex. Also, like Mike Sanders, really bad in these shows. But his debut on this show, he was wearing a very cozy-looking white jumper. I don't remember it, but I, I believe it was very fluffy. It looked very comfortable. It looked very winter-appropriate for this January eighth show. Fair enough. Uh, Ron Killings in the match with AJ did a four fifty that ended up being a four fifty knee drop. Yeah, I love four fifties that go a little wrong. So if you remember, Kurt Angle famously did the 450 knee drop famously. <laughs> or um, Tyler Bate getting the 450 double stump. Yeah, so Ron Killings invented it here first. Also, worth mentioning, this is the show where the red logo officially kicks in. Uh, Yeah, well, you know how much... I, I went on a giant rant about how much I love that logo, so I don't need to do it again, I don't think. It is interesting. If you go back and watch the January 8th show, the fonts they use for like the nameplates and the titles are the most generic-looking like Microsoft Word aerial font you'll ever see in your life. Mm. It takes them a little while to work out what their new production aesthetic should look like. They go for more like bold text by the end of the month. We also get um, really cool new everyone doing their like ugh, three second poses in front of a weird background mm. <laughs> things this month. So a lot of good production changes here, I feel. And then some really bad ones where they take, where they're doing like promos backstage and it looks like someone's doing it on their phone camera. To be fair, my favorite production in choice this month was during the main event of this show, which was Jared against Daniel Skipper and Loki in those matches. Beachy James was on commentary, and his mic kept cutting in and out. And I'm choosing to believe that that's because they thought he was so bad they had to cut his mic. I was going to wait until we like, got to it, but yeah, like, <laughs> truly, this is what made me realize that this is my least favorite wrestler. Mm. I was like, nothing about this is witty, nothing about this is funny, nothing about this is entertaining. I was like, I, I, I hate all of this, I hate it so much. <laughs> That's all the notes I have for pay-per-view number 27. You have anything? Yeah, um, we, got, we got the... They kicked the, the dancers out of the, the locker room. So that we have the official sex locker room, which explains why they always come from the crowd. I think that's a good distinction to keep the sex guys away from the rest of the roster. There's apparently a little tunnel that they can get to the, like that side of the building without being seen, so that like the crowd aren't seeing them walking past every time. That rules. Um... Yeah, and as mentioned, Goldilocks got a concussion. There was a brawl between Athena and Desire while Goldilocks was doing an interview, and apparently like Goldilocks took a bump, and she apparently got a concussion. And people were being really mean to them about how they were practicing and rehearsing to do that bump, and then someone got hurt. So people should be mean about people practicing and rehearsing. Yeah, rough. All right, NWA TNA preview number 28, January 15, 2003. My favorite thing from this show was when they showed the title match graphics on screen, there was the sound effect that was like, Bwah? <laughs> Hmm. I find that far too amusing. <laughs> There's a lot of like just funny sounds that happen on this show. <laughs> like whenever the sex music hits, 
It's just like, wow, wow, wow. You're like, what the fuck is that? Uh, oh, actually, there was another person who nearly died. Chris Devine in the match against AMW went to do like a standard flip dive and very nearly didn't rotate. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty rough. <laughs> a lot of people nearly dying on these shows. Yeah, well, and like people just doing like, well, listen, we'll get to the Maximus match. <laughs> oh, that match is pure chaos. Yeah, that's a. My only other note from the show, I think, is that the Road Warriors come out to Abyss's theme. Yeah, uh, another another name to be associated with it. So her. what is it? It's Monty Brown. Uh, Ace used it as well, didn't he? Ace Steel? Yeah. And now we have the Road Warriors before it gets to Abyss. Now we have the Road Warriors. And I don't think we have anything that we haven't already mentioned. Like, Siaki had a match against Cash. Like, all the matches on these shows are just absolutely boring. <laughs> yeah. J- J- Jason Cross broke his hand in that match against David Young. He'll be out for about six weeks because he crushed his knuckle and broke his hand. There's a bunch of Armstrong family drama on these shows as well that I don't really care enough to talk about. To be fair, I liked Scott. Mainly because he's jacked. Yeah, there is a part of that the the three-on-one match where BG, Don, and Daniels against Jared. Part of that is Scott, like, losing his mind and pulling his referee shirt off and pushing BG James, and that is a good moment. I'll give you that. Yeah. I even liked, um... Listen, I know I just said he's my least favorite wrestler and he still is, but... (laughs) He sit down where he was like bragging about all the shit he's done was pretty good. Yeah, and he's like, uh, DX was good, and then the roadie stuff was bad creative, and I hated it. I liked how he's like, yeah, you know, I sold out Madison Square Garden 25 times in a row, and I got all these platinum records on my walls. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, he was the one that sold out Madison Square Garden. <laughs> People yeah. came there for their New Age Outlaws match. Also, I liked Lyman's like, you were one of the most entertaining men in the ref. And he's like, yes, I was the most entertaining man in wrestling. Hmm. That brings us to NWATNA pay-per-view number 29, January 22nd, which is the one we did for the watch-along. So if you would like our deep, interesting thoughts on this as they happen, you can go to tnhad.com and subscribe on Patreon in the King of the Mountain tier to to listen to our watch-along of this show. It opened with a match that was just pure chaos, which was Red and the SATs against Jimmy Yang, David Young, and Sharkboy. (laughs) We got an acai... uh... Pele? Yeah, like, literally half of what they did didn't work, but it didn't work in a way that was actually quite amusing. <laughs> it was really tremendous, though. It's just chaos. Absolute madness. But that's what you want, you know? That is what you want. Like, as I mentioned, that is the the pure value of the SAT, in that they aren't always very good, but when they're not very good, they're not very good in a way that's quite entertaining. Yeah. I don't take notes for the shows we do watch-alongs for, so that's the reason I'm always light on notes for these shows. <laughs> Because I take decent notes for the show while I'm, you know, while I'm going through the the, the shows. One of us has to, and uh, I don't do it for the watch because I want to give the, of course, the the, the Patreon all, audience all of my attention. There was a Roddy Piper interview. I suppose we should talk about that. That was a real weird one, and it, he he clearly was upset that people were upset about the all and stuff. And by, by all accounts, he he's only sending an interview in via tape because he doesn't trust going there live. Yeah. So, like, he's working with Portland Wrestling, which is where he's shooting this promo from. So, he's talking about how Portland Wrestling might be invading, but they, I don't think, ever do. And apparently he's booking the show. The show is, like, Brian Danielson. It has Tony Cozina on it. This is the, that Portland Wrestling show. So, there's some... Oh, the Wheelman. Yeah, there's some decent... Well, decent names. There's some names you've heard of on that Portland Wrestling show. Can we start reviewing those shows instead? If we could find them, Maybe. By all accounts, he did an interview first that he didn't like, and they reshot a second longer one. Given this interview was like a rambling, incoherent mess, I'd love to see the first one that they're like, ah, oh, no, we can't use that one. 
You know, it's a rambling, incoherent mess, but still Roddy Piper. So you're like, yeah, all right, all right, all right. And then you're like, okay, wrap it up, mate. <laughs> I would love to be like so cool and charismatic that I can get away with an interview as shitty as this one was. And like, you're still like, you know yeah. what? It's Roddy Piper. <laughs> it's still pretty good. <laughs> I don't think anything else over here warrants mentioning. It was the big Australia show. That's the, the most important thing you should yeah, know. Yeah, go watch it just for the Australian stuff. Fair play to the greatest worker in this company. Lollipop <laughs> hits hidden her high spots. Just... Just a tr- just a tremendous effort. The new girl, you know, little coy, but you know what? Hey, do what you got to do, girl. Appreciate you. And then the final show of the month, NWA Teenage Paper number 30, January 29, 2003. There's a fun show, a uh, note from before the show, from the Wrestling Observer, which says, The best thing on the show from all live reports was a dark match with Tenacious Z over Truth Martini. Who's Tenacious Z? Uh, well, I'll do the big reveal in a moment. Crowd was into this more than uh. anything on the show. Z is the one-legged wrestler from Michigan and did such moves oh. as a one-legged Doug Furness-style dropkick, a one-legged lariat, and a one-legged acai moonsault. Expect him on the pay-per-view soon. Tenacious Z is Zach Gowan. Yeah. He does. He has that really uncomfortable Vince feud. Yep. We will see that. Well, we won't see that. We won't, but we will see Zach Gowan on these shows in the future. Yeah. Uh, this was the show where Raven debuted. Raven has a theme song. Yeah, I love this thick music. I, I was telling you after we had finished the the watch along that uh, when I had heard this song uh, as a kid, I was like, I was listening to it all the time. <laughs> like, oh, this was a banger that I had. It was this, and it was Jarrett's theme. They were my two TNA themes that I used to listen to all the time. Two top notch theme songs. Yeah, I used to. Work- oh, I don't want to admit this. <laughs> uh, I'm a kid, you know. I was a kid. Okay. okay. I used to like play the Raven theme real loud in my house. Uh huh. <laughs> And I had, like, a, a sliding door, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'd use that as the entranceway. <laughs> and I used to, like, walk through the door and hit the raven pose. <laughs> That's very wholesome. I'll allow it. Yeah. I still did, like, any time in my life I take off a hood, I do the thing where I pull it a little further forward in my head and do the AJ Styles throw the hood back. <laughs> I'm 29 years old and I still do that. <laughs> uh, it's, it really shows you that if you want to pose the it over, just do something that has both your arms going. Mm. That's really the way to do it. I did quite enjoy, actually, on the topic of theme songs. Did you notice what David Flair's theme song was? I didn't. I thought it was just the sex No, theme. he came out to Ken Shamrock's music. <laughs> really? I didn't notice. <laughs> of all the people's music to give to David Flair, you choose Ken Shamrock's. <laughs> yeah, because he's a real shooter. He is the truest of shooters. Maybe Ken Shamrock is in the bag. During the Tony Schiavone promo, someone in the crowd very loudly shouts, Shut up! We want wrestling! <laughs> yeah, the crowd seems pretty pissed that we're not getting any wrestling. There is a lot of talking on these shows. And there's a lot of signs that are like, please, can we have some wrestling now? Mm. Like, the, yeah, there's that one sign that somebody in the crowd brings up. It's like, the nonstop action has officially stopped. And the person yeah. positions themselves on the hard camera whenever a promo goes long. And like, oh, there's the sign. And of course, there's the giant who cares sign, <laughs> which is in all of these segments. Uh, in the Kid Cash and Trinity against Desire and Siaki match, there is a tag your partners chant while the men are in the ring. Yeah. So they want the women. Very progressive crowd here in NWA TNA. Yeah, I'm sure that's it. While Raven is questioning the size of Jeff Jarrett's balls, Jeff Jarrett bursts into the <laughs> locker room and Mike Tanay shouts at the top of his lungs, He's got big ones! He's got damn big ones! <laughs> uh uh, it's not quite enough to make it into the opening, but it's almost there. You need the context of the balls, you see. It doesn't work as an individual yeah. quote. 
I guess you could cut out the bit where Raven goes about his balls and then you could just cut in the easy arm off. I have one note from this show, which is the tremendous We Are Not The NWO, We Swear To God We're Not The NWO <laughs> advertisement campaign for the sex t-shirts. Yeah. In which it was like, oh, the sex t-shirts are the most sold t-shirts in, in t- NWO TNA history. And then it goes, all proceeds from the sex t-shirts go to helping Vince Russo. Go buy now. Or Triple X will kill you. There's even, like, Vince Russo ends one of his promos this month with, this segment has been brought to you by Sports Entertainment Extreme, which is like, that's the NWO yeah. line. It's like, you can't say you're not the NWO yeah. and use the NWO line. Yeah. I just love the idea. Buy these shirts, or Triple X will fucking kill you. They'll come to your house, and they will murder you. I'm gonna die now, because you stole the last sex shirt. To be fair, all you have to do is get Elix Skipper to drop himself on his head, and you can take him out. Mmm... All I gotta do is make some, like, terrible joke about a chemistry teacher and it will distract him enough <laughs> so that he falls on his head. That's true. You just have to play some BG James commentary and he'll have flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> just PTSD with BG James commentary. <laughs> Alright, that's 2003 January. We're done. Terrible month, as you said, for in-ring stuff. Uh, a lot of stuff happening, though, so I guess that makes it an interesting show to cover and talk about and even watch because it's always like, oh, and now Sanders is here and now... Dusty is here, and now Larry is here, and now the Rock and Roll Express is here, and now they're heels, and now they're wrestling, and you know, like Tony Schiavone shows up and cuts. Well, it's fun. It is fun to watch. I can't deny it. It has this just pure chaotic energy that's very watchable. Hmm. Good times. If you would like to support us more on the show, you can head to our Patreon at patreon.com slash kiddingme or tnhat.com where you can get our watch-alongs, our star ratings, our show notes that you can follow along with, and so much more. We're adding more and more content every single month. We have the record number of subscribers. We crossed 30. So if you'd like to add, let's hit 40 by the next show. Why not? We're not going to, but let's set that as the target. I would recommend don't subscribe until the start of October. Otherwise, you'll be charged when you subscribe. And you'll be charged again at the start of October. So wait until October 1st. Yes. Follow us on Twitter at TNA History Pod. Follow me on Twitter at Garrett Kidney. Follow Liam on Twitter at The Gleet Muda. At Rampage started four minutes ago as we record this. So let's wrap this baby oh, no. up. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks of February 2003. And bye bye. All from the You've Got to Be Kidding Me podcast go to helping Liam Jones. Go by now or Triple X will kill you.